Welcome to the next podcast where we look at the wealth management firm of the future and all the things that are expected to drive growth and success in the wealth management industry over the next five to 10 years. I'm Mark Bruno, the managing director of the wealth management group at Informa Connect, and I am thrilled to have one of my favorite people in this industry on our podcast today. Karina Diamond, the chief growth officer at Dakota Wealth Management, is joining us here today. Karina, thanks so much for being the first podcast interview of 2023. I'm very honored, Mark. It's uh, it's great to have you stop by again. I know we've had you on other podcasts on the Wealth Management Team, Wellstack Podcast last year, but it was a great discussion and we really wanted to have you back to talk about the wealth management firm of the future and more specifically, a lot of the things that we're seeing around people, you know, human capital, um, and how some of the fastest growing firms in our industry are evolving. Uh, we've done a lot of work on this next project over the last you know, six to nine months We've done a tremendous amount of research trying to understand what's driving growth and success, but more importantly, what will drive growth and success over the next five to 10 years. And we've seen a lot of the fastest growing firms are putting human capital at the top of the list. Um, they're thinking about how do they optimize their organizational design and their structure so that it does actually align with where there are the most growth opportunities and the most client needs. I know Dakota is one of the fastest growing firms in our industry, but I also know that you're very strategic in the way you think about organizational design and structure, roles, skill sets, and all the things that you need to be one of the most successful firms in the industry. And with that, I, I couldn't think of a better place to start. You're in a relatively new role, or at least you have a relatively new title. Karina, maybe before we dive into the wealth management firm of the future, could you offer a little bit of context on your role as chief growth officer at Dakota, what you're focused on, and what the goal is? So happy to, Mark. Uh, so I'm a big believer that uh, when you're in leadership, that you always have to be thinking about having the right people in the right seats at the right time. And so at Dakota, we're not afraid to you know, change the deck chairs a little bit, you know, adjust roles as, uh, as expectations change, especially when we're, we're uh, experiencing such rapid growth. We've roughly tripled in the last couple of years. Uh, so when I joined the firm three and a half years ago, I was the chief experience officer, which was an, a, a title that I made up, uh, which was very focused on the client That's experience. Okay. <laughs> I like to make things up. And I like I like X. So experience officer was kind of cool. And it was a perfect role uh, going through the pandemic and managing um, communications with uh, clients and then also you know, keeping staff in their seats. Um, but as things evolved, um, it became obvious that we needed to, to continue our focus on organic growth as well as inorganic growth, which we do a lot of. So I morphed into the growth off, chief growth officer role effectively in September. And uh, what I do is I oversee um, all the advisors at the firm and working with their individual growth plans in their different uh, geographic areas. A part of what I do is connect people with the right resources. So I do a lot of troubleshooting mm -hmm. and I do a lot of connecting with uh, with technology, with compliance, with investments, uh, that sort of thing. Excellent. I th it's a great place to start because I think having done a number of interviews with really large firms over the last year, um, some of the largest firms, you know, those that are over, say, three billion in assets or so um, and definitely over 10 billion. Um, I'm starting to see this title of chief growth officer become more and more popular. Um, and in fact, if I were to probably isolate you know, the largest firms in the industry, it seems like the majority of them have somebody in a role where they're focused on growth um, and not just M&A and not just organic growth, right? Um, but the combination of the two. Um, so fantastic starting point for our conversation that we have here. Um, so big picture, when 
we think about how the wealth management industry will evolve. Um, and let's look at the next decade or so. I know there's a lot that could happen, right? Um, but we've been saying for quite some time now that while we're in a bear market, it really is truly a bull market for advice. Um, I personally believe that people need financial advice now more than ever for a wide range of reasons. But I'm curious to get your sense. One, how do you think that existing client and new client needs will continue to evolve? And then two, what specific challenges and opportunities does this actually present to wealth managers who are looking to grow? So I think there's a real similarity between what the clients need and then also what the teams of people who work at the RIAs need. Because going through the pandemic, a number of trends, I think, were accelerated tenfold. So whether it's your employees, your team, your shareholders, or whether it's your clients, um, I think people have radically changed their priorities. And I think we have more and more people that instead of, instead of living to work, like I probably still do, I think more and more clients and employees or shareholders really are working to live. And, it, and that has huge implications for the advice business. And it also has huge implications for how, how advice is then delivered to the clients. I, I think another huge change is the whole, the whole diversity and inclusion space, which is really also reshaping wealth management. And I think what's happening is a couple things. I think getting investment advice and wealth management advice is now being normalized for many, many more groups of people than it was even five, even five years ago. And that in turn has you know, implications. <clears throat> Again, it's all kind of a circle. Um, mm. It has implications then for who's working at these wealth management firms hey, I want an advisor that looks more like me. And then it, it, it just it's all connected. And I think they're all kind of this, part of the same trend, Mark. Yeah, it's interesting. We had a couple of you know, think tanks that we hosted last year. You participated in the first you know, where we were looking at diversity and inclusion and how client uh, needs were aligning with some growth opportunities. And in, in one of the think tanks, the one we did in September, um, it was interesting, the comment that you know finance and wealth has become cool, right? Um, with you know, some younger investors is really stuck with me. I know it sounds so simple and so basic, uh, but you just look at over the last year to two, right? Learning and understanding and being a, a good DIY <laughs> investor um, has been quote, cool. Um, so in my mind, obviously there's a lot of education that still needs to you know, happen and be transferred, but that does open the door for more people to learn about advice, right? And for more people to seek out professional advice, particularly as their lives become more complex and people get a little bit older. And I, I guess that leads right into my next question. I mean, as you look at the future, how do you think the role of a financial advisor will change? And more specifically, how do you think that will align with client dynamics and client needs? So I think the role of the financial advisor is going to continue to become more and more holistic. So the days of having, you know, a stock guy um, or an insurance gal, you know, those are kind of in the rearview mirror because clients really want, often want one point of contact. Um, and that point of contact may refer other professionals. And that's, you know, something that, that also outlines the importance of having networks. So you can't just be in your little bubble. You've got to make sure you have, you're surrounding yourself with professionals that can be of assistance. But I think the role is going to become more and more of a sort of a coordinator, a quarterback with you know, different generations of families. I know my clients 
probably value me most because I'm a problem solver. And I think the role of the advisor is also gonna become less and less investment centric um, and more idea, more of an idea generator, more of a protector in some ways, um, more of a counselor maybe. I think the, the rise of psychology is gonna be, is gonna be super important. And I think all of this comes back to what are our client, what do our clients really need? And despite all the technology and there's you know, lots of DIY and there's lots of things people can do, I strongly believe that there's going to be a large subset of clients that are still going to value personal relationships more than ever. So the pandemic really showed us this, the importance of having your tribe. Where do you go? You know, whether it's your, you know, this is beyond financial services, you know, who's your hair, who cuts your hair, who, who's your doctor, you know, who do you go to for advice? So people still are going to value that personal relationship. And I think what will happen is that scale is going to become more and more of the challenge. Um, and there's a lot I can say about that. <laughs> I'll try to wrap up that answer. Yeah, I mean, you just touched on, you know, five or six different subtopics we've had in, you know, next podcast interviews and our research, you know, that we've done with Pershing this year. You mentioned, you know, even just psychology, right? Um, we've talked with firms that have brought wealth psychologists into their businesses, right? Largely because we see some of the larger firms turning into these sort of intergenerational wealth managers, right? As opposed to just wealth managers. Um, and that to me really does feel like um, one of the areas of opportunity for the more sophisticated firms, right? Um, and I, I am curious just to get your take on that uh, because it was one of the findings that came out of a, a survey that we did earlier in the year. When we asked where you know the most most growth opportunities exist or in the business now relative to where the most growth opportunities will exist in five to 10 years. Um, retirement income was at the top of the list in terms of future growth, right? And then intergenerational wealth, you know, planning, right, was number two. Um, and intergenerational wealth didn't even rank in the top 10, right? Um, in terms of like the, the current services um, that are uh, presenting growth opportunities and value. Um, I'm curious, I mean, why do you think that is? And what does it actually mean in your view to be a true intergenerational wealth manager? You've got to be a really great listener and you've really got to hear what people are saying and then maybe not saying. Um, and this is, this has not changed by the way. This is, this is something that I know I focused on probably my entire career, but I think it's never been as acute of a need because people, I think we as a people, we as a culture have lost a lot of our interpersonal skills um, because it's easier to text someone to break up with them. You know, or it's easy to, you know, I mean, I'm not even sure if I could even mention email, which, which by sounding like a real square, um, people still use email, but you know, communication is, is, you know, there's a million social media outlets. Um, and I think people, we as a people have really lost our ability to, to connect. So if you're an advisor, um, even touching this space, you may be an accountant, an attorney, um, you know, you may be, um, you know, a wealth advisor, but if you, if you can establish and really hone your interpersonal skills, which by the way, involves a lot of what I call ego subordination. It's not about you. It's about them. Mm -hmm. And if you can dial the conversation, so it's 90% about the person you're connecting with, um, and really focus on asking good questions and really listening. And then, documenting it, you know, in a good CRM so that the next person who comes along who might be touching your client and maybe someone on your staff doesn't have to go through the whole story about the divorce and the parents and all that because they're already going to see all that right there and they're going to have kind of a running start. So it's a, it's a lot of 
it, I really believe it gets back to a lot of basic blocking and tackling, finding that connection with an individual person, letting them know you really care about them, you know, and then you can bring in all the cool stuff, you know, hey, this is how we're managing our portfolios. And this is how, and this is how you're going to, you know, view your accounts electronically in five different ways. But if you don't have that personal connection, I promise you that person that they're just going to leave you for the next, you know, someone that comes along with a little bit more sizzle or someone who comes along who's a better listener. Yeah, I, I love the way you summarize that. And it, it listening to you, it, it's funny to even think that the term rainmaker um, was basically a, a, an actual title right? <laughs> at a lot of wealth management firms 10, 20 years ago. And now we're talking about ego subordination, right? So it seems like we've made, in some cases, a lot of progress in a very short period of time. I'd like to think so. <laughs> But I'm not still sure. More, still, still more room to run, obviously. Uh, but I love the way that you've just kind of talked about the importance, obviously, of personal connections. And you mentioned you know, being a really good listener. And that actually leads to my next question is, you know, I, I know the needs of clients will drive a lot of the way wealth managers look to hire, look to structure and look to support you know, their clients. Um, but in addition to being really good listeners, I'm curious, I mean, what types of skill sets do you think will be more and more important, right? Uh, and specifically, when you're looking to hire people for your firm, what types of skill sets are you looking for and do you value most? Anybody who's giving advice in this, in this business has got to be very clear what they stand for. So I, I tell the other advisors at Dakota, look, we have an umbrella brand and this is what the brand stands for. But your clients are probably not here because of that umbrella. They're here because of what you stand for. So maybe you're you're really working on um, advising and protecting women who've gone through a divorce, for example. That's something that you stand for, um, and you're going to keep growing that. Maybe you 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 stand for helping business owners do transactions, or maybe you stand for really being an expert on estate planning and connecting with the attorney and making sure that everything is in line for that next generation. But you've got to stand for something. And it's hard to stand for more than two or three things. You know, probably one or two is, is, the, is the number. Um, and so I really look for people who can articulate like, what, what really is their value proposition. Like I have never really been good at coming up with an elevator speech. I, I don't have one. Please don't ask me to give you one because I really don't have one. But I can tell you what I stand for. I can tell you what's important to me. You know, for example, financial literacy for women is very, very important to me. Um, bringing young people, both genders or, or many, you know, any gender, into the business is something that's very important to me. Um, and all the other stuff is like a subset of those two things. Mm -hmm. um, but I can promise you that a lot of my clients are with me, um, men and women straight and gay, because they know what I stand for and, and they know what kind of experience they're going to get when they're working with me and my team. And I think a lot of times people are afraid to articulate that or they're afraid to say, hey, you know what? I really don't work with people that want what you want. I'm going to give you a name of someone else. They just take anything that shows up on their doorstep. And if you're discriminating and you know what you stand for, that will naturally lead you to what kind of clients you want. And um, someone said this to me recently, and I've, I'm going I'm to steal it and use it as my own. They said, no is a complete sentence. So the things that you're going to be saying no to are going to allow you the abundance of, of saying yes to the other things that are going to be more important. 
Yeah, I, I think um, I agree. No is a complete sentence. It's one of my favorite sentences, by the way. <laughs> it's not easy to say, um, but it's important. Um, and I think you know, just this idea of, you know, I asked a question about skills. And when you think about recruiting, so often you hear people talking about the ability to multitask and like it, it just becomes about the rote and mechanical sort of things that they can produce or execute or contribute. Um, and I, I like the idea of encouraging people to think about right what they stand for. Um, and more importantly, um, you know, that allows people to really get to be their true self, right? Um, and feel like that's okay to bring that into work every day. And in fact, it's actually an asset and it's preferred. So um, I know there are not a lot of other people that are saying that and a lot of other firms that are encouraging that. So congratulations and thank you for bringing that up here on the podcast. I think it's incredibly helpful. Um, and, and I did ask about skill sets. I didn't ask about specific roles, um, but I am curious to get your take when you look out at the next you know, five to 10 years. We started at the outset of the interview talking about your role being new within Dakota, but also a role that is becoming more and more popular throughout the industry at some of the larger firms. Um, are there specific roles that you're starting to see more firms create? Perhaps you know, you're adding them at Dakota or thinking about adding them that you think will be much more common uh, over the next you know, five to 10 years throughout the industry? I'm not sure that I see you know, actual new positions, Mark, but what I would say is that I see a, a changing mindset to what, to what people's roles are. So, you know, for, for example, um, maybe, maybe someone started out in, in, a, in a chief compliance role, but they're really good at operations. Well, you know what? It's okay to move that person around and, and let them grow uh, versus being really rigid. Hey, this is what we hired you for. This is what we need you to do. Um, and, and I think it's also important in roles for, for people to feel safe to make mistakes mm. um, and, and, to, and to try new things and, and to ask a lot of questions. You know, we used to say there are no dumb questions, and I, I absolutely believe that. But, but let's let people fail at things. Let, let's let people try new things. And I, I think this is all part of leadership constantly reevaluating roles, training needs, modeling behavior, you know, exposing others to different opportunities. The, the, you know, the role of leaders today in wealth management, it's, I mean, it's hard, man. It's, you've got to keep evolving and changing and things are happening faster and faster. But I think you've got to continue to challenge yourself. You've got to have really constant feedback with, with all of your key people um, and really looking at, you know, are people happy? Are people where they want to be? Um, you know, do they have enough training? Have you been transparent enough? Are they, are they, uh, safe in a safe place so that if they do fail, they're, you know, they're not going to, you know, it's not going to ruin the company. It's, mm. it's a safe fail because they know, you know, they know that you have their back. If, if I believe that if leadership can do these things, that's going to, that's going to create a sustainable firm. And that's, what's going to take the firm into the next, you know, five or 10 years. Like quite honestly, five or 10 years is so far out, Mark, that I think more like in one to three years, because the pace of changes is, is become ex so exponential. No, and that I, I agree, and I think that's really good context. And, and I think yeah, we saw in our research, I know that uh, the majority of firms have been actively hiring and are looking to add new positions um, over the next five years. Um, they're actively actually looking to add new positions. I think 50 plus percent are looking to add at least one new role in 2023. And when you layer that across, you know, the thousands of independent firms that are out there, um, 
it's really encouraging, right? It suggests that the industry is obviously in growth mode, not just in terms of assets, right? But in terms of career opportunity. Um, and that actually brings me to my final sort of questions here. Um, you know, you talked about um, you know, diversity and inclusion a little bit earlier, and we can do an entire podcast episode or maybe even series on this. Um, but as more and more firms look to add talent, um, and the new positions tend to be power planners, client service associates, so more junior positions. I'm curious, you know, what role you think diversity and inclusion will play in reshaping the wealth management industry and potentially accelerating the growth of the industry? Well, I think diversity and inclusion are, are already having a big impact on, on both sides. So client-wise, I think, again, advice is being normalized for all people of all colors and backgrounds. Um, and that just naturally, you know, hugely expands the pool of clients and potential clients. Um, and then on the profession side of things, there are so many uh, absolutely fantastic, innovative um, initiatives going on right now to increase awareness of wealth management, financial planning um, as a career path. Um, and I think CFP board, um, Camila, Kate, they've, they're just doing a fantastic job. Um, you know, another thing that's happening that, and I know Mark, you and your organization have been involved with too, is um, awards. Because mm -hmm. when someone sees, wow, a woman sees a woman on stage, or, you know, an African-American person sees someone that looks like them on stage getting an award, they're like, wow, that could, that could be me. I didn't even know that I would qualify for that, or I'd be even considered. Um, so there's lots and lots of intense movement happening in this space. And I really believe in two or three years, the space is going to look a lot different. Um, up until now, <clears throat> up until about a year ago, I was very frustrated with CFP board statistics on diversity um, in, in, in the business, you know, as, as measured by CFPs. Mm -hmm. But I think we're going to see a real acceleration in the next few years. And hopefully when we're talking in two or three years, we're going to have a lot of good news to talk about. Yeah, I, I agree. And I had a, had a similar, CFP has great statistics, right? So you can actually see gender, the sort of classic 80-20 split, right? Uh, maybe even lower and just in terms of you know, male to female advisors. Um, it, the needle started to move and it happened slowly, but it seems like you know, the pandemic opened up some new opportunities, right? You didn't just have to recruit in your local market, right? Um, you can pretty much recruit, attract talent and integrate people into your business from just about anywhere. Um, and especially if that happens in conjunction with you know, the numbers I mentioned before, right? The large numbers of companies that are looking to hire new people um, there really can be you know, a lot of progress that is made in a short period of time. So I'm glad that we're having a similar experience. Um, and hopefully, you know, we don't have to wait two or three years. And when we do this interview in a year <laughs> to kick off 2024, we'll continue to see some progress. Um, Karina, before we wrap up here, was there anything more specific? I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, and I really appreciate you giving a very different perspective on what can drive growth and success, right? It's not always just a purely sort of quantitative view, right? Um, there are a lot of other there are more human things that I think our audience needs to consider. Uh, but is there any sort of final piece of advice that you'd leave for our listeners here as they think about maybe restructuring, redesigning you know, their firm um, that would be important for the leader of an advisory firm to take into consideration? I would encourage leaders to really drill down and, and disperse the idea of taking responsibility for growth. Um, and gro growth is, 
is everybody's responsibility. And so the leader can set the you know, set direction, provide resources, you know, pat people on the back, but everybody, all of us, all of your listeners, anyone in this business has a, has a role to play. And um, I would, I would also say that everyone has a role to play in terms of sustainability. So is the growth being sustained? Um, does it mean that you make that extra phone call to get somebody you know, in as an intern? Does it mean that you take somebody to lunch to give them a little bit of coaching? Everybody has a role to play. It's not just on the stated leaders. And I think if everybody would take that responsibility and do one thing towards growth, towards DEI, towards sustainability, I think when we talk next year, we're going to have big smiles on our faces. I appreciate that. And just like you stole that the line, no is a complete sentence. I think I'm going to steal growth is everyone's responsibility from you. So thank you. <laughs> and my <laughs> pleasure. All right, Karina, thank you so much for stopping by the next podcast. I really do appreciate it. I learn something every time we talk genuinely, and I learned a tremendous amount here today. So thank you for being generous with your time and your thoughts. And thank you for contributing to this next podcast and project, which will continue to build out and deliver to the wealth management audience in 2023. So on behalf of the wealth management team here at Informa and on behalf of the entire next project and team, thank you everybody for stopping by. Thank you, Karina, again, for joining us on the podcast. And we look forward to having everyone back on the next episode of the next podcast real soon. Thanks everyone. Mm -hmm.